Hey, 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 it's Red Summer. And it's Hanifa Walida. And we are your gay aunties. How you doing, babies? How you doing? How you doing? Hey. Your life, your life. I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good uh, these days. I'm actually going to be going back and just doing some work in the studio and, you know, so I'm... I'm, I, the music, the music's in me, baby. The music's mm-hmm. in me. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, it is definitely a good time to be tapping into your artistic self as the weather gets a little crazy and you know you're in the house a little more. <laughs> you probably can get into your artistic mind. I am personally home on snow day. <laughs> You know, when it's raining real hard and snowing, I'm in the house. I used to be able to. You know, to it was school. hailing yesterday in Atlanta. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't there where it was hailing, but I had, but um, I was speaking to somebody and they um, they said, yo, it was hailing earlier. I was like, oh, words? Yeah, about the size of peas. I was like, yo. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Man, we got 12 years, yo. Anyway, um, <laughs> enjoy. Love your loved ones. Yes. Recycle. <laughs> Recycle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I mean, get- it's some weird. Well, I don't. I can't say it's weird. I have my own concept about why things like this are going on. Mm. Um, but Gucci to the socks. <laughs> Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> um. So to go back a little bit, and this wasn't the first time, right? There was another. Um, yeah, uh, fashion was line. What was it Prada? It was Prada. Yeah, but there was also someone else too that came out with this uh, Jigaboo uh, jacket. Mm. Um, the uh, I don't know the Jigaboo jacket. It was a Jigaboo jacket. It was literally a black jacket with Sambo faces all over it. Wow. I was like, y'all, y'all crackers is crazy. Like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going back, I remember when Bathing Ape came out, and I was like, y'all just gonna buy that. Like, when what came out? Bathing apes. <gasps> bathing what? Ba- what is that? It's B A P E, but it's short for bathing apes, and it's literally a black male, like an urban um, clothing line. Wait, wait, wait. This is, this was a black owned. No, it's not oh. black owned. I think <laughs> I want to say it was like Asian even, but. <laughs> It was bathing apes, and black men was walking around with <laughs> ape on their. And I was just like, I can't. With Hold y'all. on, what, what year? What year was this? You no, was alive. Even, I was alive. <laughs> <laughs> no, when, think back when Soldier Boy first came out, he was like, people get mad because I got me some bathing apes, and I was like, I was talking to my students like, y'all just gonna ride with that? Like y'all gonna wear that? Nobody's gonna question this. We're not pushing back at all. Oh, okay, like. <laughs> And so since then, like these things have happened, like back in the day, Tommy Hill figure was rumored uh-huh. to say that he didn't want black people wearing his, you mm-hmm. know, his clothing. Ralph Lauren was like that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, we are going to wear all of Ralph Lauren. <laughs> and people, I, I know people personally who still rocking Tommy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Damn. Right? <laughs> no, especially as fashion goes around, like young kids, they don't, they're not connected to 
to that. Like they're wearing champion. I don't know how it was where y'all were from, but we didn't wear champion. Like champion came out of Kmart. Like <laughs> it was like, I don't know, you know, where they got this from. But right now you go on the mall, champion is like high, like price, like it was popping back in the day. And they're recycling these labels. Exactly. Like, oh, okay. What what didn't the niggas like in the eighties? Let's put that back out and see if <laughs> the niggas in the two thousand teens like it. Right. Basically. Right. <laughs> you know. Um I saw that Lagerfeld, you know, was making a resurgence in um, you know, just in the mall community, <laughs> like mall shopping, which I was like, whoa. Yeah. So it's a lot of um a lot of things around black people in, in fashion. <laughs> well, I mean, I think fashion is, is aspirational for us. And, you know, mm-hmm. first of all, we're fashionable, period. And whether we wear, you know, rags or whatever. Yes. But if we, you know, access to whatever fashion represents, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mobility, fashion represents, you know, uh, um, having, you know, stacking corn. I mean, whatever. It, 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 I don't, for, for whatever reasons, we have been Gucci, mm-hmm. Ralph Lauren, Tommy Hilfiger, you know, Prada. Um, all them, all those names, those labels that when we put it on our bodies don't mean they're particularly the best well-made, might I add. Mm-hmm. But because we have these things on our bodies that all of a sudden... It's it gives like, us value. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> value is a really sticky thing when it comes to us Negroes because they used to value us for other reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so now we went from, you know, here's some good stock on the auction block that now we got value because we have a certain label, of course, there's a branding. A brand. mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's not really the judge. Like, if you want to wear, you know, these brands, whatever, even though there are black brands out there that are doing some amazing stuff, even African brands. I'm like, damn, they yeah. go in Africa. I <laughs> um, you know? Yeah latest fat what is it I, I don't know it was a show like a fashion show in ghana yeah that stuff was hot that shit was hot you know yeah. african garb is not just those corny ass kente claws you got on 125th street or used to have on 125th street mm-hmm. you know in harlem the kind of you know regular old kente cloth like they going in in africa and but we don't we don't want to support them like africa ain't chic mm-hmm. anyway all that being said Back to the Gucci crap and the Prada and, and the Jigaboo jackets and, and all of that. You know, there's this bigger issue, yo, you know, about, um, you know, okay, here here's one of these these labels. They make something that offends us. First of all, how many hands does it have to go through before someone says, oh, we shouldn't put this out? Yeah. You don't think this will be a little offensive? Yeah. You know? And trust me, I think someone does that, but... But I think this is how the conversation goes down in the conference room. It's mm-hmm. like, um, well, first of all, there's two there's two meetings. One meeting is, okay, we need to bump up sales here, there, or the third. What can we do to bump up sales? Okay, well, let's offend some motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, no, seriously, yeah. so we get, how do we get talked about? Any news is good news, right? Any, any yeah, exactly. Any, any news is good news. You know, any attention is good attention. So, okay, so let me see what you got. Couple weeks later, all the designers, all the white designers, because it is a black designer doing this. Shame, shame, mm-hmm. shame. <laughs> but I doubt all the white designers handing their 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 jigaboo jackets and their um, you know, big lipped sweaters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it said, "Let's put this out." But now we have sweaters with other colors too, so they won't think this. But this black pitch black sweater with these big ass lips red lips right you know it's going to get some attention it's not going to be positive 
but we're going to bump up at some points and then we'll just apologize and that'll be that because that's all that's that's all that happens mm-hmm. they do the stupid shit they give some bullshit ass apology and then we either let it go or we decide to do a, a half-ass boycott <sighs> okay mm-hmm. half-ass is harsh we attempt to boycott that's what that's our go-to like we need to boycott even though a lot of us can't afford it you know right i was i've been boycotting if that's the case <laughs> Okay, I stay for the people if that's the case. They won't, because I promise you, I am boycotting Gucci. Hear me? <laughs> and yo, I don't know if they had this in Chicago, but wasn't in New York there when I was a teenager? Because we've been doing Gucci way back when I was a teenager. Everybody mm-hmm. had some Gucci. But actually, more people had fake Gucci, and they wasn't like slammed for it. We go down to Chinatown, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. or Delancey Street. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, 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 uh, you know, down in Lower Manhattan, and we get them fake, or in Queens somewhere, and get them fake joints that they good enough. They still was fashionable because we just yeah. wanted a hint of, of fashion of Gucci or whatever. Then if you had the real shit, then whatever, you was one up, but you wasn't exactly yeah. slammed because you had a fake Gucci bag. And my students now, they all have because they're in uniform. Mm-hmm. They all want a Gucci belt. Exactly. Like that's their way of, you know, showing that they fly is that, you know, they Bills get so affordable. Belt. Okay. I guess. But, even, <laughs> but they would have like the Gucci insignia. People started making different fashions use, using the Gucci insignia. So even though Gucci mm-hmm. didn't put it out, it was about, okay, let's take this brand name that, okay, at the end of the day, we can't afford what they're putting out. But as black people, mm-hmm. we can freak it. Put it on well, a black t-shirt. people in China because China was steady making them joints. Baby. But. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, I was thinking mm-hmm. about one trip to New York and the lady was just like, come here, like, come in this alley. I want to show you these churches. I was like, ma'am, I don't What's think I want to go in an alley for a purse. Like, I don't even, I wasn't even shopping for a purse. I'm waiting on the train. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, but like I, it was a huge thing, and she was just like, "No, like we have a warehouse, we have the da 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 da, like the whole thing, but we can't put up signs, so we have to come out and tell the people, you know, that we're here, like we're new." And little Asian lady was like, "Yeah, lot. they I'm got like, the hook up. I still am not going in an alley with you." <laughs> It would have been all right, trust. I went in many alleys in Delancey when, like, when when, um, Sheepskins was out and Bombers was out, you know, that you went down to Delancey to get your joint. You were going to a little dive hole in the Mm -hmm. wall stores, got no kind of corn whatsoever. But they had racks and racks of Sheepskins and blue Bombers with the white fur, snowy Gen Xers. All right. Yes. Cause that's what I had. I had the royal blue bomber with the white fur, and I had a uh, Eddie Murphy golden child like leather cap, you know, joints mm-hmm. like the cool one had too. Black Goofy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had the Gucci ones too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that and that was that was all the fly I could afford, and that trust me, that that bomber lasted, yo. Mm-hmm. But um, but still, you know, what I'm saying, you know, we there's ways I think we can be in, ingenuitive, you know, um. Uh, uh, in regards to our fashion, even if we want to kind of patron these labels, you know, get the fake Chinese shit and just freak it, you know what I'm saying? Then well, they'll mm. probably just steal it and then all of a sudden it'll be on the runway, right? Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> like like they always do us. We looking, they be having like uh, 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 spies and up 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 in the um in the in the hood and shit. Right. You know, snapping like, pictures, snapping pictures. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Not getting out the car, but snapping pictures. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. 
but my best friend likes keeping on the same thing. She yeah. is in, you know, in business, right? In finance. And she was telling me that like a lot of these labels intentionally do these things, not just for the, the bump in uh, the controversy, so to speak, mm-hmm. but they also like, if you think about Michael Kors, Michael Kors um, has become a Marshall's kind of brand mm. from where it was. And it's because it's, it's oversaturated in the urban markets. And so it's not, um, it's not exclusive anymore. Mm. And so sometimes brands will take the hit to make sure that their um, exclusivity stays intact and that it doesn't become, yeah, overly uh, urbanized interesting and so if you think about gucci like it's in all the rap videos it's in like gucci down right um oh, so they trying to scare to, niggas away that's the thing well <laughs> if you want to maintain the the high class concept of your brand like you got to get it away from the, the dudes in the hood and speaking of high whatever high brand class supposed to be what comes uh, what comes along with people who can afford a $900 jigaboo jacket mm-hmm. which might have add was sold out wow okay so those kind you know the kind of people who buy that kind of stuff they're not going to wear it mm-hmm. what happens is they put this crap out black folks get pissed they make a big enough stink and make so basically it's controversy Right. But with controversy in the context of history, it becomes a historical note. And once it becomes a historical note, then it increases in value. So if I buy this jacket at nine hundred dollars now, while we all up in the row, then we forget about it. But it's already a historical note. Mm-hmm. So 10 years from now, that nine hundred jet, nine hundred dollar jacket is going to at least be worth twice as much. At yeah. least. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's reference to this. Oh, remember that jacket they mm-hmm. put out in 2019? Yeah. You know? You know, so that's also how the economics of racism works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fashion racism, you know, so right. so be mindful. So like, so what do we do then? But then you have the, yeah, you have the alternate side where people who are like, oh, Gucci is against black people. Let me go buy me some Gucci. Right <laughs> Now I probably. Well, can they afford it either? Them, can them crackers? <laughs> and I'm not talking about the cracker crackers. I'm mm-hmm. saying that like most affluent white people are not investing in mm. things of that nature, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, you might have, you know, the lady has a lot of purses in her closet. She has a shoe collection and blah, blah, blah. Um, but for the most part, people are maintaining their affluence by not investing in depreciable, <laughs> depreciating, <laughs> right, <laughs> um, <laughs> items. And mm. so clothing and stuff like that is one of them. I know you, you know, being in New York, you on a train with millionaires every day. And they look like everybody else. And so making sure that people are saying that, no, this is not an urban um, item. This is a a high class European item because we don't we're so high in our Europeanism that we don't even recognize what the the urban market would be. Sit on this European thing. Right. (laughs) Right? So they're like, oh, well, if that's the case, then I need to support Gucci. I need to have some Gucci then. Exactly. That's not racist. That's just nostalgia. This is a nostalgic oh. image. Mm-hmm. And you know, in 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 the Netherlands, you know, they have that. Uh, what's that damn Peter shit? What's that mm-hmm. fucking Christmas? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that too. In um, in Mexico, Saint Peter or something like that. What is it, Saint Peter? 
I don't know. <laughs> anyway. But there's like mm-hmm. this monkey that's like a really beloved character in Mexico and you see it on all of the stuff and the children just love, you know, Pookie. I mean, I don't know the name of the, Mexican, <laughs> <laughs> the monkey. But for them, they don't have the same concept of it being Is racist. it an actual monkey or it's does it look monkey. like a... All right, but it's have like, red like lips. clothes on and like doing stuff and all okay. of that. And so for them, they're like, why do people, why are tourists so upset about this? Like we love, you know, whatever the, the monkey's name is. Like, wait, I gotta, I'm sorry. Now I gotta look at a Mexico monkey. I'm gonna see it. <laughs> because I want to see, because I, I, I don't, I don't believe we should just, because they put a monkey in a suit that that monkey got to represent us. It has to be some other factors where it is hinting towards us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, uh, you don't have any other thing that's about um, the monkey the monkey mexico monkey uh, belo- <laughs> uh beloved character uh <laughs> i know some some young people are like she don't know how to google um <laughs> okay i can't i can't find a damn mexican monkey if, if y'all know what oh wait hold on mexican comic book character called racist let me look at this yeah this thing um the come on give me a picture Anyway, yeah, so I don't like jump walkers because, you know, because, yeah, because you're right. It's not in some other countries. It's not really seen as what we think it is because they don't have our same history. But racism is international. That's one thing America mm-hmm. exported is racism towards black people. Yeah. You know, so that people's bars are really low in regards to what they will take into their own culture. But it's degrading towards black people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know why this is not this is not really coming up. Hold on. I'm sorry. I said, you got me curious now. <laughs> okay. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this it's problematic because I don't see the monkey. What I, I see is a typical, because the lips are big. Yeah. And monkey's lips are thin, homie. <laughs> monkey's, monkey's really lips. lips. <laughs> yeah, this is a straight, this is some straight jigaboo. St- I mean, that's what it looked like to me. Mm-hmm. There's a little thing, the inklings of hair that might be considered like hair, but then it has a gold chain on, and the hat, the hat is backwards, with a uh, um, with a bandana, okay, whatever, nigga. Oh, that's what whatever, 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 whatever my my Mexican motherfuckers, whatever. <laughs> that's <laughs> whatever, whatever. I don't know how y'all gonna explain that away. You know, if it's, if it's beloved to you, mm-hmm. then I don't know what to say to that. I'm not in your household. I'm not even in your country. Yeah, I get it that people have different histories, but I'm thinking if you unpack that comic book character or talk to the person who drew it, like who are they? Yeah, they, how were they inspired to draw this this particular monkey with thick lips and a, a hat backwards and in a in a you know in a gold chain? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> so anyway, like they try it. They, they try it. Everybody and, tries it. But, um, but should we fall for it, or rather, how should we react? I mean, we essentially react the same way every time. And and I mean, back in the days, we would actually hit the streets and protest. Now it's much easier just to start start a thread, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, and, or a hashtag, you know right. what I mean. And and that, you know, I don't know what that does per se. You know, um, I know it, the, when the H and M joint came out, that I thought had a better reaction because did you see that clip of them folks in South Africa? They bum rushed that H and M store. Yes, they shut that bitch so, down literally. The one that you saw is is not the one that I was talking about, but it's actually worse. Oh, Let me see. <gasps> ah! it's literally like 
that don't character. look nothing like no monkey. That don't right. look nothing like no monkey. And so it's Mimin Penquin. And it's and, and they got a mammy figure right next to it. Yeah, and so it's all like it's a a comic book, like it's um a magazine. It's it's a lot of things, you know. Mm. So cal- calendars, like it contains comedy and soap opera elements. It's it's been going on for a long time. You know, and and as travelers, you know, I'm sure you've been play. I know I've been places where I mean, I was in Sweden one time. Random, random thing. Sweden, mm-hmm. it's like the early '90s, and I just go to the corner store. Yeah, and I look on the candy shelf. Mm-hmm. And I see the little tar baby candy, licorice, tar yeah. baby candy. I forgot what it was called. I think I took a picture of it or something, but you know, it wasn't when we had phones back then. So I don't mm-hmm. know where that picture's at right now. <laughs> but um, yo, I was like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and it was just no thing. Nobody thought nothing about it. I mean, look, it's Sweden, ain't much black folks there to begin with. Yeah. But it's like this exportation because the whole jiggable thing that is an american thing the whole big lips yeah bugged eyes you know what i mean it's propaganda yeah yeah that's american propaganda and that's something that america has exported you know wherever um you know it, it is it's, it is mostly american but i, I think it's, it's it's lived in other countries it's something that's mm-hmm. i would say american slash european yeah you know um, and because there are generations that, you know, where it was okay to, to, to eat a little jiggable tar baby candy, licorice stick, whatever, uh-huh. fuck. <laughs> you know, what it becomes okay because it's old and nostalgic. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, nah, son, there ain't never no time that's okay. Because then you basically you're saying that, okay, if you're going to collect this nostalgic stuff, you basically don't want no Negroes in your household. Or mm-hmm. you don't want, you know, you don't want to be around Negroes because I don't know a Negro that would not be offended by it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so what are you you saying? When I started traveling down south and you go into these tourist shops, the um, souvenir shops, and they would have the the mammy cookie jars, Uh, you know, and the the, all of that kind of memorabilia. I was like, whoa, hold on. (laughs) And I was. Like I was a teenager when I started traveling in the South. So going to Memphis and going to to Louisiana and Mm. Mississippi and seeing like, it wasn't like a hidden thing. Like it was out in the open, like, hey, buy these mammy cookie jars, buy these, you know, mammy dolls and all of this stuff. They were like stores and stores and stores and stores with this stuff in it. I say put this shit in a museum and call it a day. If, If people are still making money, Mm-hmm. Or for those kind of items, what's the damn difference of making money off a nigga? Like, or the depression or oppression of a nigga. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Suppression, oppression of a nigga. You know what I mean? I'm t- whatever. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so and you know, it makes me think about, like, when the whole, um, the whole, like, Confederate statues, which I have a whole different perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on whether we should tear down all these um, statues. Um you know, this is, I know this is an old conversation, but it actually still is fairly, fairly current. It's basically, how do we deal with the history of this country? That's what we're really saying. Yeah. How do we deal with the history, you know, of this country where there are still some sort of physical representation of that history kind of in public space? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I honestly am in the camp of, I'm not really down with taking down statues. 
You know, okay. I, you know, and I, I may be in a minority of this, but let me just explain myself. Um, I am in the camp of updating them placards alongside the statues. <laughs> yeah. I am in the camp of creating statues that in the full context of what, like, so say you have a statue of, you know, whatever, I don't know who, uh, Robert, Robert E. Lee, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, I don't know, standing with his sword forward. I don't know, whatever, some stupid Robert E. Lee uh, statue. Why not directly across from Robert E. Lee, you know, mm. you got Martin Luther King with his middle finger. I mean, <laughs> a funny exaggeration, but from an artistic perspective, you know, innately there's nothing wrong with statues. People are trying to mark a moment in time or history. You know, maybe at the time, yes, they have, you know, they erected these Robert E. Lee statues because people in the South were mm -hmm. fans of the Confederacy, whatever. But it's still a shared history, okay? Yeah. So how do we continue to have the conversation through these statues? You know, simple a simple placard update would do the trick, in yeah. my opinion. You know what I mean? Because um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and 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 say that walking by a Robert E. Lee statue, and this may be different for someone else, but for me, it ain't really. It ain't hitting me like that. I may laugh and chuckle. Like, Look at this shit right here, this yeah. motherfucker. Or if I'm walking with a young person, like, you know who this motherfucker was? You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> I gotta give give context to the statue. So I'm not down with, let's just destroy them all. Because if you destroy the history, then you, you're more prone to forget it. Okay. <laughs> or next generations are prone to forget it. But on the flip, these nostalgic items of the big lip, bug-eyed characters and the mammy figures that whomever is still making money off of, that that I have big time issue with. Okay. You know? Yeah. Whether you're making money off or you're putting on your jacket <laughs> or mm. you literally are making the figurines. Yeah. Mm. So then our relationship back to um, the labels and the fashion kind of came back up to me um, again, because um, I started watching a show on Vice called mm. uh, My House. Okay. And um, on it's talking about the the ballroom culture, right? Mm -hmm. um, in New York or where? In New York, it, there's one that took place in Philly. So like, there was a ball that the New York okay. kids went to compete in Philly. Like I, I haven't. I only got to see the two episodes, mm -hmm. um, but I don't know if they go like into like the different cities where this is happening in Chicago. They had some kids from Chicago that came to New York, um, gotcha. but I don't know <clears> if they <throat> went to Chicago to see that part or Atlanta that has like, you know, had a vibrant ball scene. Um, but all of the houses were named after fashion lines. Mm -hmm. Like House of Prada. House of Good, yeah. Yeah. And it made me think about like what, if at all, <laughs> is the the reaction when mm. you find out that the the designers that you love don't love you back, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and you know for the 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 queer community and and you know, for so long this has been like um, the way that you show. I mean, not just even your acceptance, but like, yeah, I guess so. Like you are being accepted into this house of Prada and, mm -hmm. you know, and it's this status symbol and all of these things that we, you know, adopted. Um, and so what happens emotionally, maybe mm. when Prada is like, no, no, boo boo, not you. <laughs> wow. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I would love to talk to a young person in one of these houses and how it's impacting the house. And and you know, to an extent, maybe it's not. You know, because you know, you once you take on a name and then you embody it with your own sense of fashion, your own, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, a culture or what have you, then it becomes, at least for, I would think, at least for the people that's in the house, it becomes bigger than just this motherfucker over here, than this fashion person, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or fashion label, you know, um, it kind of, it, it gives, it, it represents an aura, uh, uh, um, I don't know, but it's, it's not so, it's not so literal, okay. you know what I mean? So I can understand how, you know, you can be of the house of Prada and this crap comes out and I can see there may be conflict, but how how do you really associate yourself with House of Prada? It really is being with your family, mm-hmm. basically. That's 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 the House of Prada, you know. Yeah. People, the people you dance with, the people you show out with, the people that take care of you when you're down, like your family, yeah. your queer family. That's your House of Prada. So it really has little to do with you know. It's unfortunate that you know you named it Prada because now you got to deal with it's somewhat linked or tethered to this 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 racist crap, mm-hmm. but. I think we in the queer community understand it as much larger than that as far as when it comes down to the houses, yeah. you know, or deeper than that, you know, hmm. you know, so y'all, y'all keep doing your thing because y'all doing great work as far as the house of Prada, the house of Nada, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I call this episode, the house of Nada. But, um, <laughs> y'all keep being y'all because you're beautiful yeah. and, you know. Y'all doing that. Y'all doing that thing. And to hell with, to hell with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have any answers. I don't know if you do as far as how black folks should augment or change the way we react to all this stupid shit. I mean, I wish there was a way we can just do hashtag ignore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, what you going to do? I, I think, like, we are innovative and genius enough mm-hmm. that, like, I... One, I get what our relationship is with with expensive things, right? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I get ancestrally that we want to be <laughs> draped in gold, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Wouldn't be seen. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, I get it, okay? Um, I also understand what poverty does to our mm. desire for um, luxury. Mm-hmm. Right. I get that, you know, especially, you know, the kids who've been out in the streets, you know, <laughs> to then be, you know, to be accepted and to be identified with luxury and, and design and beauty and fashion. Like mm-hmm. all of that is so damn important when you're building your self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. my son, yeah. he got his first refund check from school and immediately went out <laughs> and, and we like oh like you don't think you won't want to eat this semester like <laughs> but he's down at Morehouse like he you know mm-hmm. a lot of kids at Morehouse come for money he needed to have him some Gucci slippers right yeah fine whatever um <laughs> and he's not even a child of poverty right yeah. mm-hmm. but i see like what that that comparison you know how that plays out um but i think that we could be our own mm-hmm. and everything that we do gets adopted 
like you said, like somebody takes a picture of us on the street and they put it on the fashion runway and it's in Paris and it has Gucci on it and we just buy it. But we mm-hmm. already had it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And if we <laughs> exactly. valued our own uh, ingenuity and our own high fashion and our own design thoughts and, and ideas um, as much as we did the labels, like we would be further on. Somebody asked me a, a little while ago, like, um, just why we don't, or I think it was something a breakdance thing that was happening. It was all Asian crews, mm. right? And they were just like, you don't even see black people breakdancing no more. And I was like, yeah, we don't monetize our culture. Nope. We make it and move on. We make it. We give it away. <laughs> um, we have a we have a class. <laughs> like we teach somebody else how to do it, and then we watch them monetize it. And that's the cycle that we need to break. Break exactly. That's, exactly. That's the and thing. then and and then we get mad when someone from another culture down the road makes a grip from it. I mean, listen, I know there's racism and you know a white boy singing soul it gonna make more money than you know mm-hmm. a black person you know singing soul. Beyonce aside, and it's it's you know that can be yes, that's a, there's a history in that. It's frustrating, but I get frustrated when I see white folks seeing or corporations seeing the value in us before we see the value in us Mm -hmm. because we're so immersed in just creating the culture and then we get in this little incubus of just us and I'm big and bad just within my little community within my hood I'm the best dancer I'm the best whatever Mm -hmm. and we don't we don't we haven't been conditioned to really see ourselves on a global scale Right, but someone, it, uh, you know, it, it as opposed to someone who was raised from day one to think globally mm-hmm. in regards to business, you know, and then we get frustrated. It's like, look at them; they walking down, you know, they got so so model dressed and there's some skinny chick dressed in some shit you seen Laquisha with down the street mm-hmm. <laughs> right. last week, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, why is it more valuable because it's on the skinny white chick? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, why all of a sudden it's you want to like buy the it? Like, wearing Bo Derek braids. Okay, listen, 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 listen. How about we ban that that name? I, I don't do that family. I, I I was not of the age to be interested in them when they came on the scene. Or well, my my first reference of a Kardashian was OJ. Mm. I don't you know even what know I mean? the, from from there. Like I yeah, have father, just father. seen a lot of the conversation around like what is cultural appropriation and blah blah blah. Now they have yeah, all these black like, babies, like that thing. But like I get that certain people get a pass, and not just Kardashians. Like all of the the white female rappers, you know, mm. who come out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who have, you know. And I saw like some video past my social media feed, and all of these. Um, white girls doing a twerk competition and they have whole like twerk classes and every, like shaking them back yeah, white girls teaching like, twerk classes if black other. women if you are not not i did see one sister teaching a twerk class but the, the if we're not monetizing twerking mm-hmm. we're still no matter how hard they try they can't get it yeah <laughs> and we're not monetizing it so but even it was a so these battle <laughs> it was a twerk battle with all white girls. Like, 
That and must have been horrendous. Like, I remember being, like, when I was in high school, I was in African dance class, right? Mm-hmm. And there were three or four white girls who would come to the class and you just, you know, you just tried to stay in front so you, you know, wasn't watching Don't them have to the side. You they will throw you off. off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sarah, girl, hey. <laughs> but, um... I feel like that's the only thing that I've seen black women take control of and still like, like still monetize and still teaching. I, mm. every other thing has just been co-opted mm-hmm. away from us and monetized for us. And then sold back to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And us bitching about it. Don't mean nothing. I think it helps feed that fire that they started. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Anyway, anyway, let's dive into this letter because yes, because we know all about with... our creativity. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, yeah, this is not this is not a, a confidential letter. This is yeah. Okay, so here we go. Dear Red and Hanifa, mm-hmm. it's from yeah. That's okay, us. this part <laughs> that's us exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this part you don't have to. Okay, we're not share this on the radio, right? So we're gonna. We have actually talked about this. This is the second paragraph. The second paragraph? All right, here mm-hmm. we go. About five years ago, I started this project called If I Knew Then Project. The basic purpose was to bridge generational gaps between the LGBTQ community. Um, the, LGBT, the LGBTQ adults would write letters to their teenage selves with the theme and/or statement of If I Knew Then. The idea was to exemplify the timeless themes of the queer journey across borders of race, age, class, gender, quote unquote labels, um, ability, et cetera. Um, anyway, it took off immediately and within two months, I collected about 25 letters. I've led workshops on the um, topic in various formats and have raised enough money to publish an anthology. I would like to pair the letters with art, preferably by queer artists, um, uh, would be amazing. If it was queer youth artists, even more so. Okay, um, that that rep- that represented messages threaded throughout these letters. Okay, but every time I try to take it to the next step, I feel like I just kind of it just kind of comes to a screeching halt. When I talk about the idea to people, I get great feedback, but little participation in submitting letters or artwork. I don't have much to offer in terms of payment, and I'd be unf- and it'd be unfair to offer. Um, sorry, letter writers conversation when the first 30-ish submitted theirs voluntarily. I've advertised on social media in various forms, but still I get little follow through on the actual submissions. These days I hear people everywhere reflecting on their younger experiences, especially in the queer community. And at first I get excited because it reminds me of my project. Then I feel defeated when I think of how I can't seem to regain momentum again. As as a relatively newish Within the last couple of years, um, had wait what? As a relatively newish, within the last couple of years, had circumstances that have prevented me from putting as much energy into it as I did in the beginning. Divorce, single parenting, this shit, life. So mm-hmm. <laughs> perhaps some of it is a guilt or not sure if it. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm fucking up my reading. Sure, if I have a realistic uh, grasp of what's possible at this point in my life, can you share some experiences uh, you've had? 
where you felt hopeless about a project and how you've had to reshift your attitude or approach to it so it didn't just die a slow and horrible queer death. <laughs> Should I just publish as is and move on? Okay, keep uh, keep on with your best. Complimenting us won't PS. I'm happy to answer any context questions. Okay, boom. All right, so basically this is, this, this is a, a question about starting a project, um, gaining initial momentum, and then shit just tapering off to what we doing now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> am I even still doing it? <laughs> or am I even still uh, uh, doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, first, I'm just gonna give you some direct advice because you actually answered your own question, yes. Go with the first 31st. What you need to do, actually, this is just like practical information. In order to, when you just ask people, when you just tell people about your project, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm really of the camp of holding shit close to my chest mm-hmm. a little bit um, until it gains a little momentum, um, either in my head or initially, because you need that initial momentum for people, because people just want to be down with some shit that's already popping. Hmm. At the end of the day, at the yeah. end of the day, you know, especially if you're asking them to submit some stuff. But so if you already got 25, 30 some odd people to submit something that may not be enough for an anthology, because I'm sure all of them are not anthology quality. Mm-hmm. Just going to put that out there. But you can, I would look at the best three and find ways to give exposure to the project through their work, obviously with the permission of the writers, right. you know, obviously they'll love it because you're going to be pushing their stuff, but maybe there's something about, you know, like approach it from an artist where this stuff is just fodder for say creating new art. Look at it like that. So I'm reading these letters. What in these letters can I, for lack of a better word, in the, in, in the true definition of this word, what in these letters can I exploit to give uh, uh, attention to the larger product, you know, and, and, and in the process of, ex- of exploiting or rather giving exposure to these letters in whatever context, artistic context, then you also at the same time can be asking for more submissions. So mm-hmm. that might help with the initial follow through or lack of follow through that you're, you're having with people that say, yeah, that sounds interesting. Crickets. <laughs> 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 you know, Cause you don't want to be that person that keeps saying, "Hey, so you, you know, you said you was going to, um, right? Um, What's good with that? They, exactly. Well, most likely they they ain't mean none of that that they said, you know, um, cause that's just people. Sorry, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. Yes. <laughs> I think yeah. Get something going. I think it's just good for your spirit. Like. Maybe you're trying to do a whole album, but you just released your single. The one that you got good and you know it's it's popping in your mind. You really love it. Like, go ahead and get something out so that you can build up your confidence, so that you can, you know, start the the buzz and start the reaction. Um, I think also you can't make your projects dependent on other people completely. Boom. Um, talk on, talk on yeah, it. Yeah, because nobody's going to have the same enthusiasm about your project than you're supposed to have. So maybe you get 12 letters and you write five. Right? <laughs> 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 because the the momentum that you need has to come from you as well. Like, I think mm-hmm. one of the, the things that's pressing for you, like, um, is 
is this reliance on everyone else's buy-in. Like, can you do photography, like, and put pictures in there? Can you um, draw, do some um, drawing electronically, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> can you figure out how to, to do some graphic art or, you know, something like that. If you even need visuals in the project. Um, well, what she said can, she did it. She was looking for something like that. Yeah, but I'm saying, yeah. like, what can you do to get that last part that you need done? How much mm-hmm. of that can fall on on you and your own creativity as opposed to the community? And then you can gift that to the community. And, you know, like you were saying, volume two could be like, whoa, like we got a flood of letters. We got a flood of pictures. We got blah, blah, blah. But I have put together this thing first to mm-hmm. show what it would look like, what it would feel like, you know. Um, and... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm saying I, I like what you're you, what you're talking about here because also what's good about doing it yourself first is that the project just doesn't stand alone. It's it's, it's intrinsically attached to you, mm-hmm. so you get some bumps in um, reputation and whether. So some people will go will be a part of your project to be a part of that project, but also to be associated with the creator of that project because mm-hmm. you gave yourself some love first, you know? Um, So yeah, I'm definitely um, uh, uh, ditto what Red said. It's like, put something out. If you're looking for images or queer art or whatever, and you're not getting people submitting stuff, create something yourself, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, And and, and here's, just to to bounce off of that, um, sometimes when you're talking about projects, and especially if you're already in a creative community, people hear a million projects. You know, um, and I'm sure, you know, your project sounds as great or maybe even greater than other projects they heard, but it's kind of like one in one ear and out the other. What people really want to know is how does it benefit them? Yeah. Period. So it's, and that doesn't necessarily mean money. It's about how you present the project. So if you just say, and not to say this is how you're presenting it, but just taking a wild guess, if you say, oh, I want to um, put out an anthology of women uh, rather, uh, queer people uh, talking to their younger selves, and you may even have a cool conversation about the person with, oh, that sounds cool. All y'all doing is really sharing a moment. The project ain't really real to them. <laughs> yeah. You know, y'all just sharing a moment like, oh, that would be that would be good. But in the back of the head, like, yeah, whatever. Are you going to do it, though? You know what I'm saying? Is it actually going to live? I, I'm, I don't want to go. Nobody wants to go to another creative meeting. Yeah. About a supposed project. Nobody wants to involve their time, energy, mm-hmm. and headspace. Unless you are 20 years old and you got energy for that bullshit. <laughs> to go to another one of somebody's ideas of artistic project and another either doesn't come to fruition or it's not properly managed. And you yeah. want to bail out. You know what I mean? So I would suggest that you put the project in context. Not just talk about the project. Also talk about what's been done and what you want to do when they submit it. So I'm thinking about, or you can even start a conversation of what can be done with whatever art they submitted. You know what I mean? Um, so they might even feel they're a part of it without giving too much time. But I'm just saying it's all about the context of what you present the project. So so even if the, the project ain't gone nowhere, you have to present it as if, as if it already has momentum. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's like, I'm going to take your art. We're going to intersplice it. Like your sense of confidence, the tone of your voice, the confidence and the way that you articulate this project is everything. Mm -hmm. First impressions are everything. And your excitement about it is not 
I mean, that's important. That's important, but it has to be on top of a clear articulation of the project, the timeline of the project, expectations of the art that's going to be submitted, you know, to the, like all of this and get them excited about that, you know, um, as well. That's just a, a, a suggestion to review how you're presenting the project. To yeah. People. And then, you know, back to what I was thinking originally, like, just give out a little bit, like get you a social media page, like give a line at a time, like make it qu memes, quotes, like people love that. Like I'll take your whole letter one line at a time. Don't even know. <laughs> for real. Oh my God, Red, that's so true. Yes. <laughs> I did that for a client actually, but mm -hmm. go on, say it. You saying exactly what's yeah, up my head. So on. like utilize what's there already to, to build up that interest and to build your traction and you know, then you can have a a, uh, a call for submission, you know, once you've gotten followers and you've gotten people, you know, sharing the lines from the letters and things like that. You can cite the people who were posting, you know, who the letter came or that line from the letter came from, like that kind of thing. Yeah. So that, you know, it's not just your voices, you know, other people as well. And, you know, with the hashtag of whatever the name of your project and that that's the thing but that's marketing yeah. that's promotions like i don't know that that's where you're getting held up or if you just really feel like i need everybody else to do this thing for me but see but see the marketing is the horse and and, and as a mm -hmm. marketer I, i've said this to my comrades many times it's like we all as artists we put the horse before the cart mm -hmm. you know and but the cart ain't going to push it the car's just going to be mm -hmm. cart and maybe it got some great goods in it or it got some snake oil in it. Yeah. I don't know, but it's that horse that's going to move it through the yeah. town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, mind the metaphor, but you know, so marketing should be a part of the, for me, I, I so heartily believe this, that marketing is a part of the creative process. It's not an afterthought. It's not like, okay, we got this mm -hmm. thing here. Cause, cause it's, cause, cause artists is just like, a car in a sense that as soon as you drive that bitch off the lot or as soon as the artist created it starts to depreciate mm -hmm. in value because it's just sitting there collecting <laughs> dust while you trying to drum up some yeah. you know momentum yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then as an artist you lose momentum because we we first thing we're, we we you know as artists that we feed off is the creative process yeah. we love creating something out yeah. of nothing yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay but then we need affirmation we need it desperately mm -hmm. we need recognition for the work that's been yeah. done. And so when you when you include marketing within the creative process, you get that so you can keep the momentum, all the stuff that you need to bring the full piece to fruition. Mm -hmm. And if not, to some degree, inform the fruition. I mean, I mean, you can inform the project as it's being created because you're getting input from other people, whatever. Yeah. But but also it, it feeds you so you can like boom people are giving you feedback so you keep going it's like it has to if anything it gives just pressures you to fish and to finish the project and now people are expecting you to finish right the right <laughs> no every you know project I mean? that i have finished is because in an interview i gave a release date <laughs> <laughs> what you working on oh I'm, I'm doing this book it's gonna be out in may like <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like december book <laughs> i've done that to myself too it works though because then your pride and your ego's involved yeah. you're like oh shit. yeah 
you know, but, um, and sometimes people need that impetus, need a little bit of a catalyst to get the creative juices going. And then once you win it, it's not like you're just going to write some book out right. your ass, but now, but it forces you to get into the creative mode where you have to be, you know, in a headspace to actually create a work of art that is indicative of who you are mm-hmm. as an artist, you know, but, uh, yeah, so that, that's pretty much, you know, what I think we can give you is, as far as addressing momentum and also trying to encourage people to submit things at the same time. You can try those and let us know how it works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the last part, can you share an experience you've had where you felt hopeless about a project and had to reshift your attitude or approach to it Ooh. so it didn't just die a slow, horrible, queer death? <laughs> wow. Uh, oh, I have, this is, I can do a quick mm-hmm. antidote. You know, um, it was a project I brought to fruition, but I had to make a, okay. So I came out with this one woman play. Uh, uh, initially it was called Straight Black Folks Guide to Gay Black Folks. Right. <laughs> and yes, exactly. And I had momentum. Like I was, you know, it, I kind of, uh, you know, I did all my interviews with people. And then from those interviews, all these characters came out and then I was in straight creative mode. Like you didn't see me. I was in my little silo of creation. Right. And then it came out and people liked it, but I was having serious problems with the name. Right. And it's problems. One, people couldn't say it in one fell swoop. Mm-hmm. One, but two, more importantly is straight black folks it was a barrier for them and quite honestly a lot of this really was about Mm -hmm. them you know mind you this is 2000 this is early 2000s you know so you know black folks weren't as progressive as Mm -hmm. they are now not to say they're all that progressive now (laughs) but a lot more than they were back then um and i had to make a decision so then i changed the name to black folks guide to black folks it was easy to say and it created, you know, curiosity. What do you mean, Black Folks Guide to Black Folks? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I got some people who walked into my play to know what they was walking into, but 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 were pleased at yeah. the end of it. They felt they learned something, you know. Um, so maybe I don't know if that's exact. I don't. I don't feel like I was in down. I, down down on the dumps. May I wasn't down on the dumps because people were misunderstanding the play initially. Um, but sometimes it's an issue of problem solving. Yeah. You know what I mean? Also acknowledging that there is a problem too. Because I, I do know, know artists that they'll put something out there and they don't want to take any criticism. It's like, you don't really want to mm-hmm. look at that scene again? You don't want to look yeah. at that again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they wonder why people are, are put off or not getting mm-hmm. it. You know, so constant reflection on your art, like don't get so caught up in your ego and your pride that whatever I, you know, like I just, you know, I just piss lemonade, like my shit's forever mm-hmm. sweet. You know, you know, the only editing I need should be done by myself and that no one else can give me feedback or all of that or constructive criticism or none of that. Um, Cause I definitely know artists who are mm-hmm. like that. You know, that is not a healthy way to approach um, artistry and it really is it's 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 good that when you do run into a block like this you're already in the habit of trying to inspect what what is going on here you know what i mean what is not something's not moving something's not grooving i'm not getting the reaction that i want from people yeah. or the response you know i mean the first place i go to is me i don't go i don't i, I have never ever blamed my audience yeah. for their reaction to my <laughs> shit <laughs> How are you going to blame the audience? Oh, they just don't get it. They, I was like, but you created something that attracted whomever. Mm-hmm. They paid their money. And now you mad at them because they don't like your mm-hmm. shit. 
You made something mm, that they I don't, don't know get. About that. <laughs> you know, because you want to, you want to be all hot for looting, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and then, and then if someone says you want to maybe change, uh, we're going to have another conversation about something, but we know what we're mm-hmm. talking about. You know, some people make some high falutin art, all right? And some people get the art if they have access to the language yeah. of that art. But art is, is one of those things that as an artist, no, your art is not for everyone and you don't want to create art that is for everyone. <laughs> but <laughs> but I also don't want to create artists that's only for a select few or the choir. I'm just making art for the yeah. choir. I don't need that because what that does is that keep you that keeps you in a little bubble of my shit don't stink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as soon as you take that piece of work to to people who are outside of the choir, you get your feelings yeah. hurt, and then you want to blame it on them. You know what I mean? It's like it's because someone doesn't speak the way you do or sees the sees the world the, the way you do. That is not some sort of you know um, that's not some sort of statement to their intellect. Yeah. Or to their, you know, their their art literacy, you know. Yes, art literacy. I see. Is there's there's a thing as someone being art mm-hmm. illiterate, but <laughs> but what did but, you do to again, bridge that gap? Like, what explanation exactly? Are you giving? Like, like, what's your job as an artist? Yeah. Exactly. What what do you see your job as an artist? Mm-hmm. Right to interpret the world. Right, but for whom is the question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you should ask yourself as an artist for whom. You know, and if you're elitist with your shit, you just want your people to, to like it, then, you know, you are kind yeah, of have artist. it at your house. Not my kind of artist, but. <laughs> all your shows at your house where your people know where to go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Next house party's on you, yeah. homie. You know, we're going to see your one woman play at your house, girl. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm going to come high because I know. <laughs> I'm going to need to escape. To get it. Okay. And listen, listen, I'm that bitch, all right? And I want all my friends that want to take me to somebody's poetry reading <laughs> or, you know, performance thing. I, I'm, I, I am very critical of art and not, and not, and not to, I mean, in a loving, well, okay. <laughs> Let me be specific. It's not art that I'm critical of. I'm critical of performance, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, some friends won't go to poetry readings mm-hmm. with me, okay? Or, because I'm, I'm not a big fan of spoken word, even though um, I was very instrumental in the creation mm-hmm. of it, in New York mm-hmm. anyway, right? But I'm not, that was another time. What spoken word is now, I'm good. Mm. Except for youth poetry. I like, I like yeah. youth poets. Because they, they, there's nothing really pretentious about them. They go in, yeah. right? But even with that, you know, when I'm when I'm looking at a performance, I for me, you know, the stage is a very sacred place, you know. And when I feel someone is being disingenuous, um, or they're dragging their ego on stage before the art, or they're wearing like shit, like shit'll set me off. Like someone go on stage with shades on. I like bitch, you too scared to get on stage, get yeah. the fuck off. <laughs> like get the fuck off. If you can't if you can't show me your eyes, that's half the performance, yeah. homie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't show me your eyes? Then then write it down and publish a poetry. Mm-hmm. How about that? If you come, see, I'm going on, I'm going on a tirade, but I want to do it because this is an opportunity to do it. Someone asked an art question, so fuck it, I'm going to go in. If you coming on stage with your phone or book in hand and you flipping through the pages or you scrolling trying to find your, you couldn't find your poet, before your poem you or whatever the hell it is before you came to fuck mm-hmm. on stage, 
You know, I don't need you to preface anything like, oh, I just wrote this, y'all. I don't need to hear none of that. I don't need to hear the backstory. Just perform and let me mm -hmm. experience where you are at now with your with this piece yeah. of art. Don't preface shit for me. That's rude. It's unfortunate that, that people will still do that. You know, not for nothing. I'm from the old school as far as poetry. Mm -hmm. You know, as far as spoken word, in the beginning, little short history, I'll keep it short, I know I'll be long with this fuck, <laughs> but little short history, <laughs> you know, um, spoken word in New York literally came out of spoken word, not prose or poetry, mm -hmm. came out of um, a New York scene when um, a lot of the New York clubs, hip hop clubs closed down because a lot of energy kind of went towards, well, New York was going to changes, but a lot of energy was going towards the West Coast. And then us little hip hop kids were like, what the fuck, mm -hmm. right? Where we going to perform? So the place to perform that was still kind of, you know, we like, fuck it, was the poetry scene down in the village. So we bum rush, mm -hmm. literally bum rush the stage. Yeah. <laughs> but we we holding paper wasn't a part of the yeah. deal. You know, we were about commanding the stage. So we did that. So we knew all our stuff by heart. But also what happened is prose from the early generation before us also affected our mm -hmm. work. And that mesh became what we now know as spoken word. But in the beginning, when people were just experimenting with different styles and all of this, like Saul Williams came out of that, you know, Antipop Consortium came out of that, shit, I came out of that. A lot of different people came out of that that you may or may not mm -hmm. know of. But at that time, it was experimental because no one had no expectation. And we, the damn thing we didn't do was hold a piece of paper. There was no phones at the time, mm -hmm. but we didn't have nothing in our hands. And what that helped us with is knowing how to completely use the stage. Yeah. And not being stuck in front of the mic or, or, or being tethered to a phone or a piece of paper. And that is what kind of blew the water open because then it's like, oh, there's all these things we can mm -hmm. do now. But it's not technically hip-hop and it's not technically traditional prose. It's this other thing. Yeah. Hip-hop influenced kind of stuff, you know? So... So my auntie asked, I will be in the back of the audience, <laughs> just like, no, nah, just like it was yeah. for us. Because I remember performing in New York. Oh, God, I forgot homeboy's name. Someone helped me out who, who was in the New Yorican back mm. in the days. It was this old um, Latin brother in the New Yorican. He used, to, he used to be by the bar. If you came on stage on some bullshit, mm. you would hear his mouth. Wow. <laughs> and he was not gentle. Yeah. You know, but that was a, that was a, we used as young kids, we weren't scared mm -hmm. by that. We just used that as a barometer. If homie, God, what was his name? Why am I forgetting his name? Um, if homie in the back ain't say nothing, I know I, I at least coasted mm -hmm. by, I'm good. Yeah, I'm yeah. good. If he says something, you know, I have to kind of, let me, maybe I don't have to, but I can maybe revisit my yeah. shit a little bit. There's something off, you know, cause he's been listening for years. It's yeah. I came into <laughs> spoken word through theater. So mm. I was at a theater competition and uh, one of my good friends, Paul Maybon, um, did a poem as their theater, you know, competition thing. And I was like, you can do that? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's hard finding monologues. Like it's hard finding, you know, work that, you know, meets all of the guidelines and, and you still enjoy. Um, and especially that's mm. culturally relevant, you know. <laughs> So they wrote their own and they did it, you know, the poem as their thing. And I was like, yo, that's like, that's it. I'm down in Louisiana at the time. Like I had, he was like, so if you get back to Chicago, these are the places you can go. Now, what I appreciated about the Chicago scene is that it was highly competitive. You mm. would walk off the stage to silence. 
nobody was there was no compulsory clapping <laughs> Ooh, can we talk about compulsory yeah, and, clapping but, <laughs> after your yes. story and also there was no such thing as hating there wasn't mm. that general mm. like blanket that you can throw over it if people didn't like your stuff you could just say that they were hating no the audience is very clear on what they like your poem is yeah. not one of the things that they like <laughs> and so if you see a lot of the Chicago poets, like they are battling. They're, they're mm. aggressive, like they're loud. Like even when they're talking about love, they're just like, love, it is the thigh, it's the thigh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because we had to fight to get applause. We had to fight to get mm. claps. Like you did not want to walk to your seat in silence. You know what mm. I'm saying? <laughs> And because yeah, it was that yeah. that competitive nature, like you went home, like you said, you studied your poem, you memorized it, you you acted, you know what I'm saying? Like you included so <laughs> many things in that um, piece so that it was performance. And right now, mm. like, I remember when the transition went over and it was okay to go up there with your phone. Like, I, I remember when that started happening. And you know the mm. old heads just like, what? I can't believe you read it. You know, oh, excuse me, I'm, yes. you know, I just wrote this. I'm reading off the paper. Then don't read that yet. Read something else that you got <laughs> that you know. <laughs> and don't come up in here practicing like you practice at home. You know, and then yes. you bring it when you got you your A game. Like, but we are really now in a culture of. Um, that we don't criticize each other, even for the even for the the purpose of growing each other. Like we just applaud right. mediocrity like all the time, and everybody gets away right. with not having to be exceptional. Like I stopped doing poetry, period, when I felt like I was not giving of myself in the way that I had. I left it one hundred percent. Like you said. I didn't perform again. If it was like that, the poems that I had already done and mastered, I went to the page. Mm -hmm. I figured out new genres. Like I figured out new things to do <laughs> because I knew that I was not doing it justice. Word. Right. <laughs> and coming from that and, community and that I did, I would not want to go up there with no half done bullshit. Really? Shit. Listen, I come. Listen. Oh, God. Help me. <laughs> As an artist, I don't care what age you are, in particular when you're a young mm. artist, you want constructive criticism like you need yeah. water. It, it is essential. You need food, water, um, inspiration, and yeah. criticism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, now of course you want to be in a safe place where you have your peoples, but your peoples have to be able to do know how to give good criticism. Because listen, and it always feel good, but if you have, if you don't have your camp, that's like, yo, that was some bullshit. Yeah, I that's some bullshit. It's high, like it's a high honor to get. Yeah, that. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've had, <laughs> I had friends. I'm, I'm a holler at my boy, uh, moms. Right, we we came out of the same like crew of folks. Right, and I remember one time I, I don't know what show it was, but I got off that stage. He looked me dead. He's like, what kind of bullshit is that? You <laughs> just can't. Like, <laughs> What you well, Shaw, yo, what's what the fuck, yo? Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm <laughs> you know, and, and that kept me on point that even because sometimes when you get accolades, when you first get out, or at some point you get accolades, then you start getting lazy. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and you're not and you're not so the criticism helps you stay sharp, it helps you you know, you keep growing, you know. But everyone is so thin skinned. Yeah. Now. 
And it's like, and that, and listen, I'm not going to say, <sighs> yeah, so that's why your shit mm -hmm. whack and you don't even know it's yeah. whack. And, and when, and when, and when, and I know, oh God, this is so hard to say because it's like, if there's people saying your shit is dope, you know, it's hard to believe when someone says your shit mm -hmm. is whack. And I'm not saying your shit is whack, but the, when someone gives you accolades without criticism, they're basically saying your, your work is flawless. Mm. And that's not the case. There always is room for improvement. You want room for improvement. Because yeah. what that's going to do is give you other ideas for more shit. Your stuff keeps growing and growing and getting stronger. Yeah. Where that shit is just like, ah, you know what I mean? But if you don't ever get criticism and people keep you know, gassing your face up. I'm mixing shit terminology, old school slang for back of the day. Anyway, if people keep gassing you, you know, because either they want to get close to you, they want to fuck you, or they just admire you, or I don't know what, or they just want to be in the scene. I don't know what their, their, their reasons yeah. are, but they're not telling you the complete truth. So basically, you in a bubble. You, you completely, you know, ignoring the truth that your shit is not flawless, yeah. homie. Your shit ain't flawless. Whose mm -hmm. is? Are they never done? Yeah. Yeah. You so know? like for me, I changed how I do feedback in my class. I give the kids grades mm. on their feedback. So Ooh. I don't just let them say, oh, yeah, that was good. The grade doesn't come from the person presenting. The grade comes from the mm. person who is giving the feedback. Right. <laughs> and word. so they have to give very thoughtful, very meaningful feedback so that the person can make changes. And, you know, on Google Docs, you can see like what the um, the feedback was and then if they made that change or not. And then they yeah. have to justify why they either made why they didn't make the change if they didn't. That was suggested. Yo, when I tell you that was the game changer. The game mm. changer. Like you Change are getting up. a grade on how thoughtful your feedback is, how much you give them information that will make this piece better. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. This was wrong. That was wrong. This was wrong. <laughs> and <it> was like, <laughs> yo, like it's such a more fruitful experience now. Exactly. And you know, a good way, well, the way that I at this point give uh, uh, feedback and it depends on who's <laughs> wants my feedback, but, <laughs> but I tell them what I experienced. And if that is not aligned with what you thought I was going to experience, mm -hmm. then, you know, you can't blame. Me. I just let you know what I experienced and that's not what you wanted. So you can choose to go back to the drawing board and change things around, or you can just, you know, that's what I'm experiencing. Yeah. So there you go. You know what I mean? Um, I try and that's like the even kill, but sometimes I'm just, you know, I, I, I tried like when, when a young person and it happens on occasion, more so when I lived in New York, I have, I don't know, people don't know me here. So, but you know, young people were like, yo, I want to spit this rhyme or, you know, or listen to me, mm -hmm. do my thing. And I remember one time this young queer person, um, you know, I was at a house party. I went to a house party of young people. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, you know, gotta mingle with the young. I mean, yeah. I was there, or, you know, whatever. I was there. I was there. I was there. I was people who weren't my age, right? And this young person, yo, second, I spit for you. I want you, you know, get some feedback. I'm like, sure, baby, go and do it, right? <laughs> and um, I don't know what pronoun they go by, but they say they went in, mm -hmm. right? Then now I'm not gonna say I so much care for the rhyme 
So while they're doing this, I'm like, okay, how can I give this person good feedback? Because I felt myself tuning out on mm -hmm. the rhyme. And then I realized the reason why I was tuning out is because they went into that mode where you close your eyes real hard and you own them on the bump, put the bump, 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 not making any eye contact, nothing. You just kind of this figurine moving with your eyes closed and mm -hmm. your hands swinging, right? And so I said, that's what I'm going to comment on. I said, um, I didn't even comment on the rhymes, actually. You know, I was like, you know, I would, I said, you know, I'm loving your energy, but I'm really getting half your energy. I'm, 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 I'm receiving half of what you want me to because your eyes are closed. And that so took them aback, like they never heard that mm -hmm. before. I was like, just open your eyes. And if, and if close, I understand like the inclination to want to close your eyes and rhyme is kind of like you're in your own closed mm -hmm. space. But you're you inviting know, me and in and blocking me up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you blocking me out. You're not inviting me in your space. You can stay in the space you did when you was making the rhyme mm -hmm. up in your room. You know what I mean? It's like if you're going to perform it in front of anybody, yeah. even your mama, you have to take it from I'm in my room to I am performing. Yeah. What am I giving? What am I presenting? What is the story here? Even if it's just a freestyle, you know yeah. what I mean? And you use your body, you use your words, you use your tonality. And may I add, dynamics in voice volume. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> you, like, you were saying, like, sometimes, like, in a slam scene or certain really competitive scenes, people got in the habit of being at 10 through the whole damn poem, right, homie. Right. Yo, can you be at 7 at one mm -hmm. point and then maybe down to 3 and then come back up to 8? And then it's like, so you shouting at me for an entire three yeah. minutes. And then they give you a second poem, it's four, it's six, <laughs> 10, 15 minutes, you showering at me. I remember this girl, Red, like she almost had me on the edge and wanted to fight. I was like, can you shut the fuck up? Like, can you, no, like, can you, can you, can you, can you bring it down yeah. a notch? It's like my, the hairs in my ears is just, mm -hmm. it's twingling, <laughs> you know? And it's like little things like that because there's not enough mentorship between artists, yes. you know, because there's not enough criticism between peers mm -hmm. even, you know what I mean? That these, these are the things you don't hear about. These are the things you don't hear about. That nah, son, don't stay at 10 for the yeah. whole poem. It's called dynamics. Yeah. It's, it's storytelling. It's a part of storytelling, you know? So yeah. anyway, that's my, I, you know, I had to just go off on that. No, I, I, you know, I totally agree. To. <laughs> totally agree. <laughs> so this is more than what you asked for. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't even say her name. Did we, we did. Did she give it? Oh, Lisa. Alisa. Alisa. This is more what you, what you might have asked for, Lisa, and I'm sure some of it doesn't pertain to you, but <laughs> for all those in hearing distance, <laughs> young artists out there trying to become great artists, constructive criticism is your friend. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And with that being said, Redden, I'm just going to, you know, I'm a volunteer for you too. If, if, if any of you guys want true like get an example of true constructive criticism from mm -hmm. your aunties just send us an mp3 or a, a link to a video or something yeah. you know and and we'll do that for sure and we'll and we'll put it oh, on the air too nice. and, you know unless it's like total crap <laughs> <laughs> Even, even 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 if we don't like it, we're going to show you how constructive criticism mm -hmm. works because it's really about because it's not it's not it's not a judgment on who you are as an artist because every artist it's not like oh I'm just gifted and everyone's a Basquiat mm -hmm. or you know what I mean art is a practice and you get better with practice yeah. you know and criticism and, criticism. <laughs> and, criticism. and <laughs> growing from the criticism 
Now, yeah, you don't exactly. get better from the criticism. You get better from growing from the growing criticism. Because from... <laughs> no criticism feels yeah. good. Ain't nobody up here saying, oh, wow, criticize me, baby. Mm-hmm. I love it. No, <laughs> it doesn't feel good. But when you get used to it, then you yeah. want it. Like, I, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, um, I, I always ask for it. If I'm making a new project, depending on where I'm in the project, I'm like, yo, let me get some feedback on this right now. Okay, so you think, blah, blah, blah. like, I think about it. I think about my work objectively. Like, I remove myself mm-hmm. from my personal relationship with the work. And now it's about thinking about it objectively when I'm asking someone to criticize it. So I'm not, that's what I learned to do for myself. So my ego doesn't say that mm-hmm. hurts. Don't talk to me. Don't, what you say? Yeah, what do you mean I'm not perfect? <laughs> What you, mean? Oh. what you mean? But I like that part. I was like, and then I'll say, well, why do you like that part? So how is this connected to the story? Or do you just want to say this part and this, you know, but it don't got nothing to do with the other stuff. You know what I'm saying? It don't got nothing to do with the tapestry, homie. You just wanted mm-hmm. to say it. <laughs> you know I what I mean? I completely forgot Th- to tell my, my answer to, to the what? question. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, shit. And this Go was on. short. This is really, really short. I was leaving Chicago. Gotcha. I, I mm-hmm. had a, 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 uh, what do you call it? A publishing company that I had started. Um, I was going to go to Atlanta and just work for 30 days on finishing this book and publishing it. Um, I got to Atlanta and all of my discs, like my drives were empty. And so I had rented this apartment for 30 days with the hopes of just fine tuning and editing and there was nothing on the drive, like at all. I don't know, like if it was gone. For it was. Good, it like... has been gone forever. Like <laughs> that thing is not. Like oh I don't know God. if I ejected oh, wrong. Like I don't oh know what God. happened. But like I was taking everything off of like a computer, like a, a desktop, mm-hmm. and put it all on the disc and the drive thing, and got there, and it was empty. And so. I had to write a whole other book. <laughs> I, I didn't, ha- and it's poetry, right? So all of the experiences that I had then um, were gone. I had to mm-hmm. write about like a whole new thing. Like what I thought the book was even going to be about wasn't ended up not uh, being about, I'll, I'll right. That whole project basically was gone, but I still had a deadline to publish. And so I had mm. to really like put myself in that, in my cave, right? <laughs> and, and think about whole new concepts, like whole new things or not have a book, like not release anything. But that was, and you did well, it, right? yeah, my livelihood at that point was based on me having this book to tour with, <laughs> right? You can't, you know, mm-hmm. at that time, like you tour without merch, like you're broke. And I was living, <laughs> like, <laughs> I was living from city to city at that time. Um, so mm-hmm. I needed to have a book and a CD and, you know, posters, a T-shirt. I need to have everything possible to take with me so that I could get to the next city. Um, wow. So, yeah, I, I really had to buckle down and make sure that I, one, honored my commitment. I honored my mm-hmm, my livelihood, mm-hmm. but I also put together mm. a project that I enjoyed equally as much. Right? <laughs> no, I'm just saying because that that process when you lose mm-hmm. everything, you know, you don't just lose the work created, but that process, you know, like it's so what what you're, you're what you're mourning over is like all of those moments 
of creativity yeah. or at least the documentation of that creativity yeah. is gone and that is it's hard to sometimes rebound yeah. from that you know but but it was interesting that you was like you know what i'm here for 30 days yeah. had i been home let's get it popping had i been like in the safety of of you know the the comfort of home i would not have been i know that there would not have been another book Right. But only because Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. I have to eat, like I have to put gas in this car so that I can get to the next city. Like only because of that, um, I had to put the the pedal to the metal, so to speak. Otherwise, like I had to pull myself out of a depression. Like I sat in that house for three days and just cried. Like, what am I going to do? Like it was on that the third or fourth day that I was like, okay, I'm I'm just going to have to write another book. Like mm-hmm, just the mm-hmm. loss of it, the hopelessness of it, the like, oh my God, like I, I'm doomed. Like maybe I could go get some t-shirts <laughs> printed. Like what can I do? <laughs> like, but too, I knew at that time I was, I was trying to move into um, college speaking mm-hmm. and okay, you just got to have a book. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta yeah, have, have some something sort of, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, reputable, yeah. you know, for that level of um, of existence, like for that that scene. And I got up out of the bed one day and just continued, like, <laughs> yeah. with as much memory as I could draw from, and just made a whole, like everything else in the book is a whole new thing than what it was supposed to be. And 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 there you go. And then that's that's the book mm-hmm. that sold <laughs> the most. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Which then again reiterates what we've kind of been saying that you, as an artist, you the orchestrator of the shit around you. You can't always control what's around you, but also the part of being an artist is being able to keep the course regardless of what comes at yeah. you. I mean, that's, I mean, honestly, that's, that's an antidote mm-hmm. for life, you know, but, um, uh, you know, yeah, keep keep the course, um, regardless of whether people are bigging you up or not, you know, whether there's crickets or not, you still have to keep the course. It's like, where am I going from here? What, how am I going to problem solve this? Problem solve in the sense of like, how do I move from this point of either disappointment, like mm-hmm. with your, you know, situation or like with Elisa, you know, um, people not joining in with the jamboree of don't we want this mm-hmm. to happen? They're not joining in with your excitement, you know? And also this, you know, being an artist can be kind of lonely. It's just like almost being an entrepreneur, you know what I mean? And it's hard to kind of push through when it's just yeah. you, you know what I mean? Um, but you but you, you have to, and it's in you because you are an artist. What, you, what else right. you going to do? You, <laughs> you want to you know keep what being I mean? an artist, you got to Anything else is <laughs> word, word. Otherwise it's theory. You're an artist in mm-hmm. theory, honey. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. 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 All right. Thank so, you. This ooh, was... Look at us. We went yes, to almost yes. an hour and a half. Good. Good. <laughs> 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 you get us talking about art right. right now. We can go on. We can go on. But we will we'll end it right here. And, uh, uh, of course, we're going to say what we need to say. 
Um, if you got something from this episode or even previous episodes, um, we would love your uh, support. Even for you know the price of a cup of uh, latte per month, you can give us you know hit us off with something with what you got when you got it. You know what I mean? At Patreon.com/slash your gay aunties. And of course, you can always uh, follow us on um, Instagram at your gay aunties. And if you have those questions uh, and uh, complications about life, love, career, you name it, um, we are your chicks. I still want to also get to another another um, shout out or request of our, uh, our Muslim uh, brothers and sisters, our Muslim mm-hmm. fam that's trying to navigate things. We are the only bitches online. <laughs> We're the only people who have a podcast that can probably speak to mm-hmm. some of that. <laughs> if you're queer and raised in a Muslim household. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. Anyway, but yeah, so just holler at us at your gay aunties at gmail. Uh, uh, and also, I would say that I really enjoy reading you all's feedback on the, um, the, on Apple music and if you oh, wanted yeah, to post, the on, reviews, yeah, the reviews. Yeah. If you wanted to post on um, SoundCloud, wherever you're listening, like let us know that you heard us and and what you think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. SoundCloud, because we, we just really getting that you can comment on mm-hmm. SoundCloud. Don't don't judge us. <laughs> don't judge us. We were just born in the '70s. Don't yeah. don't trip. Don't trip. <laughs> but now that we know, we want to say, hey, holla at us. You know, any part of the show that you really found mm-hmm. poignant for you, say it on SoundCloud. Yeah. Know what yeah, I mean? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. We're gonna close it out, y'all. So here we go. What's up? What's up? Yes. All right. Y'all have a good one, y'all. y'all this, I, I don't know how I'm even coming into this exit. We're going to exit the show. Exiting the show. Okay. Hey. <laughs> We're exiting the show. And my name is Hanifa Walida. And I am Red Summer. <laughs> <laughs> and we and we are your gay aunties. Bye, baby. Right, Bye, darling. <laughs>